Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from marginalized and communities of color doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yanez. This week, my guest is Yanni Rivera. Yanni is a holistic pleasure coach with over 14 years experience in scientific research and seven years in the spiritual healing arts and is about that exploration life. With a special blend of science and spirituality and her own twist on sound healing, she guides her clients to explore their body's sensual and emotional spectrum as a guiding framework to grow the self-love, worthiness, joy, and pleasure that inspires a fulfilled life. We talk about how her Catholic upbringing affected the way she viewed sexuality, how she began exploring that side of herself, what exactly a holistic pleasure coach is, and how she's launching World Pleasure Day, a live event prepared to help those who seek to know themselves better. This episode is heavy in sexual tones and probably not meant for the ears of little ones. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. So, Yanni, it's so good to see you. So good to see you as well. So, I am actually recording from my sister's house in Portland today. Oh, you're still there. Nice. I just got here. So, I, you know, had a, okay. did a solo road trip and I got here on Friday. So, I stopped in Monterey. I stopped in Napa for a couple of days. I stopped at my Nina's house in South Oregon. And then I finally got here on Friday. So yeah, I'm just at the beginning of my trip. So I'm not sure how long I'll be here. But before my sister and my brother-in-law went on a walk, she was like, the AJ needs to get on a recording. So what are you guys going to do? Because I have four (laughs) nephews. They're like, we're going to be quiet. And they're like, is it for her wine thing? (laughs) That's so cute. Yes, it is. It is for her wine thing. So I'm super excited, you know, to have you here because we met at the very first, I feel like this is a reoccurring thing, but this is how many freaking like total badass chingonas were at the very first Latinas Who Brunch San Diego. It was so great. The relationships that came out of that day, like there's so many women that I still connect with or like in some way, shape or form have been able to stay in touch with and, and collaborate along the way. And I mean, it was such a beautiful day and all of the people there, like we, we all had to culminate there in that day. Yeah, it was so crazy. So that's obviously where we met because that's what we're talking about. And we hadn't really kept in touch as much. And I, but I do remember coming up to you and just your head was beautifully shaved and you have a beautifully shaped head, by the way. <laughs> and I was like, you're so beautiful. Like it was just 
everything that was coming out of you, this confidence, this like beyond just physical beauty, right? Because people can be physically beautiful and you're just like, mm, I don't know about them. But beyond <laughs> that, there was just something that just was emanating from your aura, your energy, everything that I was like, I remember walking up to you and going, you're so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, that's honestly, a, I, it's the work, you know, it's, it's really the work to be authentically yourself and, and, and live in that. And, and any woman that's in her power like that shines really. Well, we will totally get into that. Totally. That's you know, work that continues, right? But before we get into that, the one thread coaching yes. cheese man, holistic pleasure cheese man, we gotta get to the wine. Okay, well, we have we have our kiddos here today, so we're not allowed to have wine where the kids are here. So I have water. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have yeah. My my nephews are like she's doing it for the wine thing, right? So, <laughs> and I'm in one of their rooms. Literally, I'm like. It's, you know, in, I'm in the corner of a house in the room. So this, I was gifted to me by one of my friend's moms and it's called Ari, Ari well, Errol, I'm guessing, A-R-I-L. And it's a 2012 Atlas Peak Napa Valley Syrah. Oh, um, I love Syrahs. Yeah. So for people that don't know, Syrah is a dark skinned red grape wine that's usually pretty rich and intense. It tends to pair, pair well with most meats, poultry, lamb, and hard cheeses. So this is what I found. I had to do a lot of digging to find some tasting notes on this wine. Mm. But this is what I was able to find. Generous and complex aromas, aromas, not aromas, <laughs> of blueberry fruit tinged with violet bramble. I have no idea what bramble was, but maybe I'll look it up. And espresso bean. That actually excites me that it has like an espresso while muscular with ample weight and endurance, then revealing broad sounds like my kind of wine. <laughs> then revealing broad cabernet like mouth coating fruit, redolent of juicy mountain blueberry, black cherry, and black cherry. Finally, underscored by a roasted espresso note, leading to a lengthy finish balanced by a zippy mouthwatering acidity and lingering generous dark berried fruit notes. A voluptuous crowd pleaser that won't last long in your decanter and calls for a marbled porterhouse or T-bone. Cheers, my dear. I am smelling it right now. What do you smell? What are the first things? It's the cherry. I can smell like the cherry. Mm. I don't smell espresso, so I'm going to taste it right now. Ooh, this. I can kind of taste the, a little bit of the espresso can definitely taste like blueberry and and the black cherry oh this is really good I could see why you would want to pair this with yeah like you want to pair this with with like some steak or anything we actually just had what did we just have for dinner we just had salmon but this is really good I'll drink it by itself anyway so <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> uh how does it feel like on the tongue is it like dry or is it pretty or it's dry mm. But I tend to like dry wines. You? Okay. Yeah. I like something that stays around just a tad longer. I mean, it, it's not super like immediate. Mm. It, it lingers a little bit for sure. And then it kind of goes away. And I'm, but yeah, it's a really good one. I like it. Oh, nice. I got to try and find that one then because oh. I love some wine too. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. I just had my first experience in Napa, which I feel like I'm going to do a whole show for that because that was awesome. And there's so many things coming out and so exciting, but I don't want to get into that because I need, we need to talk to your, about your stuff. And usually what I really like to do is find out what, how people got to where they are now, right? What is the journey? So I really want to explore that with you as well. So tell me about like where you grew up and what your family dynamic was. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in Santa Ana, uh, California. Um, I'm no, yes, I'm an OC girl, but like, not like the real white housewives. Totally different though. Yeah. Yeah. You (laughs) don't associate that with the real housewives. It's not at all like that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I grew up, but yeah, Mexican. My parents immigrated here, but I was born in the United States, born in Orange County. An only child, um, but I had lots of cousins, um, especially on my dad's side of the family. And it was just a really, you know, it was a really lovely childhood. Like I grew up with a lot of like a lot of love and a lot of family around me. Um, and yeah, I grew up Catholic, so that informed a lot of you know my <laughs> right. Yeah. But I don't know if it's inform or rather lack of information. <laughs> well, there's that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you know, my, my parents were always really, you know, open. I still have a really great relationship with both my parents, even even more so now that I'm an adult and you know, I'm living my own life with my partner and his children. And you know, it's it's really been beautiful to see that dynamic change over the years. Um, but always been like really, really close to my mom, especially growing up. She and I kind of really, really bonded when I was younger because it was just her and I for a couple of years. My dad, you know, my parents, they just celebrated their 40 year anniversary, but like all marriages, things kind of happen here or there. Yeah. And um, so for a bit, it was, it was my mom and I. And so we developed a super close relationship when I was really young. Um, but being the only child and then, you know, not wanting to rock the boat because I wanted to be the good kid for my mom because it was just me and her for a while. That really like... I dove straight into my books. I dove straight into like, let me be the good kid. Let me be the good daughter. Let me not rock the boat. And that really like quieted my voice for a really, really long time. And it was something that I had to unlearn the last several years. Um, and, and through the, my practice, my pleasure practice, it's, that's definitely supported that unlearning and re- learning to really be authentic. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a beautiful childhood. I feel I feel really, really, really blessed that I have the relationship that I have with my with my parents now too. Were your parents really strict when it came to like? Because I know we all like to pretend we're open books or whatever, but then when it <laughs> that happen in our family, we kind of close ranks and yeah. we don't talk about it. How were your parents? Were they super strict when it came to talking about? personal matters, whether it came to you or the family, Um, because you have like, same, I have a very large extended family, lots of cousins, lots of tias and tios, but when it came to stuff that happened, it was very like, it stays here, you know, we don't, oh yeah, and I get what you're saying in regards to having a close relationship with your mom, because for the first almost four years of my life, it was just me and my mom, Mm. and I feel like me and my mom have this very special bond because we had almost four years of just me and her. Yeah. And I felt like she was, she would talk about more different things with me than with my sisters, my younger sisters. 
So how do you feel like your parents were like, were they strict in regards to the things that you talked about or how open or kind of closed were they when it came to like personal matters? Yeah, I think I had, especially growing up, two pretty different dynamics by the time it was just me and my mom for those couple of years. I was, you know, a preteen or hmm, I was about maybe like 10 or so into my early teens when it was just me and my mom. And so I think because I was made aware of kind of what was happening within the marriage, just because I was around and I'm the only child and I saw a lot, I think that kind of left the door open for my mom and I to have more of a communicative relationship and building that trust that it was okay to talk about things. I, it took me a lot longer with my dad to open up about more of my life. So for the longest too, like even growing into early adulthood, um, you know, I would always go to my mom. I would always be like, mom, I need help for this. Or like, don't tell dad or, you know, and then it was really interesting by the time I kind of switched and they were, they were really strict because I'm the only child. So that it was more out of like safety, right? Like this is our only child. We need to protect this one. <laughs> and, but I, I never really saw it as really that strict because I myself was really hard on myself because like I said, I didn't want to rock the boat. I always felt like I had to stay within the lines because I wanted to be the good kid. So my mom wouldn't have to stress more than she was already stressing about the marriage at the time. And, but it kind of like that relationship kind of transitioned a little bit when I was um, like in my early twenties, I, I went through kind of like my quarter life crisis, I like to call it, because I just, I didn't know who I was, what I wanted to do. Everything just seemed so out of place. And I wasn't equipped with the right tools at the time to really understand how to reorient myself. Uh, so I went into a deep depression and was making, oh girl, I was making some real bad choices, oh, <laughs> really bad choices. And one of them, you know, landed me in a pretty bad spot that my dad had to come out. I was living in San Francisco at the time and my dad had to come out. He was the one who found out. Um, I had gotten thrown into like a drunk tank, I think is what they called, yeah. like at the, at the police station. Yeah. That is the most frightening thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> one really? of the most frightening thing, one of the most frightening things I've ever experienced. Cause that was my, my doing right. Yeah. Which, wait, let me just, let me just say this. And I don't yeah. know if it's the same in California as it is in Texas. I mm. was thrown in a drunk tank without being drunk in Texas. What? Yeah, because, and I was like begging the police, give me a, give me a sobriety test, give me, a, you know, the blow test, whatever they, the breathalyzer test. Yeah. And in Texas, again, I don't know if it's anywhere else, but this is what I was told in Texas, an officer just needs to say that you're drunk in order to be considered, um, to, in order to be put away for public intoxication and thrown in the drunk tank. But I was pissed off. I wasn't scared. I was pissed off because when you're sober and thrown into a drunk tank and it's freezing in there and they like, mostly people are usually drunk. So they're sleeping it off or whatever. And I wasn't. So I'm not going to sleep and I'm freezing cold and I'm pissed off. Yeah, no kidding. So I definitely understand the feeling of being in a drunk tank, but this one was not of my doing. And I, anything that is of my doing, I will fully admit to this one was not. So I was like, still, I said, nonetheless, my gosh, what a horror, like no one wants to experience that. That's, ugh. 
yeah still nonetheless it was not fun no it's not fun at all yeah so how was sex because I want to totally get into these other things that you were talking about and stuff because I feel like we because we didn't connect a lot but as you're talking I feel there's a lot of parallels between us yeah um, what was, because of what you do, and this is why we're kind of, this is why I'm asking these questions for people who are like, why is she going back to this? Yeah. Growing up, mm-hmm. how was sex viewed in your household? Was it something that was even discussed or talked about? I mean, especially I could see at the time where it's just you and your mom. Yeah. I remember being in elementary school and my mom saying just small things, right? Like, oh, boys will want this. Don't let somebody do this. Don't let somebody do that. And then I had a Thea uh, who has since passed in the last couple of years, my Thea Maggie, Mm -hmm. who would literally tell all of us. And as I eulogized her, I said this and everybody started laughing because they, all the women heard it. And she would literally say, put a quarter between your legs and don't let it fall out. That's one way, I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. In your household, and how was it? Was it even discussed, or was it something that? Because I think a lot of, especially Mexican parents, will allow the school to handle. Yeah, like I said, I I don't ever really remember having that conversation with my dad, except probably my dad was, you know, Mija, you know, you deserve a good person and, you know, that type of thing more having to do with like worthiness, I think. Um, but with my mom, my mom is an educator or retired educator and vice principal. So her whole thing is like, let's, let's go to the literature first. So I was like nine and one of our favorite things to do was to go to the um, Santa Ana library and get like a ton of books. And I remember, it was summertime because my cousin who lived abroad um, she would come visit us every summer and we had gotten this stack of books and we were going through them and we didn't see the ones that my mom had gotten and they were all like anatomy books <laughs> or like how to teach your child about sex books yeah. and I, <laughs> we were going through it we were like oh, oh my god I'm gonna have the talk and it was totally that it was just like this is the male and this is the female and it was that was I that was my first what I remember exposure to like sex and then next thing that I can remember um is my mom and I doing like a promise ring type ceremony thing with like a really beautiful like prayer that she wrote up that I will save myself for someone that loves me and it was it was a really I still have the ring to this day it was a lovely ceremony you know it's all rooted in my mom's belief that she grew up with in Catholicism about like virginity and purity, right? Like that idea, which I, that's a whole nother topic when when you talk about like virginity and that whole construct. But anyway, um, you know, so it wasn't like we talked about it a bunch, but I think my mom left the door open to make it seem like I could trust her if I wanted to start talking about it. I honestly do. Like, cause I no, feel like I was going to say no, <laughs> because my mom always was same thing. My mom wanted to like, if you ever need to talk about it, blah, blah, yeah. blah. but like I lost my virginity and two years later, my mom's still talk, like thinking I'm a virgin. And <laughs> yeah, that, that was like, that's been a long time. That like a long time. <laughs> yeah, but, I definitely, I definitely didn't tell her when that happened. Um. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I got to tell my mom. And thankfully, she doesn't know how to even really figure out how to listen to the podcast. So, but if she, ah! 
I'm 42 years old, whatever. What yeah. am I going to say now if I talk about <laughs> like, you know, anything like that? Um, so what was your like knowing like, right? These are, I feel like our moms, they thought, oh, we're leaving the door open. But are yeah. you really? Because if you're really, if I were to really say something, I feel like my mom would have had a heart attack. Gosh, yeah. I, I'm... <laughs> I imagine probably, <laughs> I imagine probably for sure. Um, I mean, I was such a late bloomer too. Like I on it, like really, I threw myself into school because I was just like, I can't, I, my mom and my dad met each other when they were teenagers and then they got married in their like really early twenties. So I, you know, seeing my parents and their whole marital thing and my mom's, my mom also during that time was like, Mija, you don't need a man, go do your thing, you know, that whole mentality. Um, And then I was around a lot of my mom's sister's friends, and all of them are uh, are single women, and, you know, it was fully independent and, like, traveling, and so I saw that and was like, hell yeah, I want to be like that, like, I don't need no man to ruin my life, so I focused (laughs) in school and just was just, like, not about even dating until I went to UCLA when I was like 19 and then I was like okay she gotta she gotta get on it now she gotta she gotta try some things you know what I'm saying UCLA UCLA the holy grail for Mexican parents (laughs) in California I'd like no joke this has been reoccurring in several Mm -hmm. interviews in regards to UCLA I crack up because my mom was like yeah we wouldn't have been able to afford that you know but so at what point because at what point did you start because I know like in general, right, even babies can start self-pleasuring in the womb. There's like yeah. studies that, yeah. you know, babies can start, ple- and it's not like they know what they're doing. They just know it feels good. Right. But at what point in your youth did you start discovering your body and right. pleasure? And how yeah. did you relate that back to what you're being taught at home? So I have a very distinct memory that I share pretty openly um, in workshops on my podcast um, because I, I love personally talking about self-pleasure and helping uh, women especially to reorient their perspective around what that really means in, in connecting to their bodies and starting to understand their bodies more intimately and the wisdom that can come from that. So I distinctly remember when I was younger, I don't know, I must have been like four or five or something, I remember like rubbing up against like a table leg or whatever. And my mom coming into the room and catching me, catching me, right? And her just like yelling at me being like, what are you doing? Does that feel good? Like, I just remember getting yelled at and me like crying and being like, I don't know what to do. So I still touched myself like, you know, as I'm growing up, because you're exploring your body and it's like, why does this feel so good? You're, you're not even sure what it is or why or anything, um, but you're exploring nonetheless. But I remember feeling really guilty and everything was so quick. Just like, I have to do it in silence. I have to do, or like, I have to do it like really quickly because I don't want to get caught and I know it's bad. And I remember like one time thinking, is my, is God watching me right now? Or like my, is did my, my uncle just died? Is he watching me right now? Can they all see me? Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I yes. I remember having those feelings like, Oh my gosh. Right. I, it's, it's just like, I, I, there was so much just like guilt around it that even though I knew it wasn't wrong per se, because like, 
it felt good to explore my own body, but it felt wrong because I was told and showed that it was wrong, essentially. Um, and it was interesting because just literally like two years ago, a year ago, okay, like almost to the date, mm-hmm. I, I had an experience of self-pleasure in up, in, up near wine country, up north. <laughs> And I was in a cabin with, with, with my boyfriend and, um, and I started to self-pleasure and I had started to realize like, you know what? I have the same exact pattern 30 some years later of, really? of self-pleasuring because it would be, sometimes it would be, re- most of the time it'd be like really quick or like I'd have to get, you know, I'd, it just wasn't something that I really thought as like a practice until, you know, my sexual practice with my partner um, because of the knowledge I had been learning and about my own self and through my studies, all of that had been shifting, but it was the missing piece was really my relationship with my own self-pleasure practice. And when I gave myself the freedom to just fully embrace and explore, girl, I swear, I wouldn't, I would not, I don't think I'd be right here right now doing the things that I'm doing to this magnitude if it weren't for that, that, permission that I gave myself so it's been a journey and uh in you know from that very first experience of my mom like freaking out (laughs) I mean I think you've just hit on something that I think almost everybody can relate to right especially when you're in a when you come from a community of color particularly Latino community because it tends to be very my we I, I was baptized Catholic but I didn't I'm not i didn't grow up Catholic. I never practiced beyond like baptismal, right? As a baby, yeah. being, being Catholic or anything, but it's still something that's just kind of in that mindset of you don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, are shamed for it. And I think that can go through all, regardless of what culture you come from, right? Mm-hmm. Because especially in the United States, we're very not open with our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Or we're open when it comes to men's pleasure, yes. but when it comes, you know, men's pleasure is not shamed. Mm-hmm. Like it's used in movies and it's used in this, but women's pleasure, you don't really see that. And the only time you see that in reflected in TV shows or movies or anything like that, it's like the women always comes at the same time a guy does. And it's never about the woman's pleasure. It's always about the guy getting off. It's really like ridiculous. But you remember that very distinct feeling when you're in fourth or fifth grade. How did that evolve when you were in middle school, high school and in college? And how did you, what did you find in college? Because I feel like- I may be totally wrong, but I just feel like that time is when people really kind of explore outside themselves mm-hmm. because there's so there's so many more people who are willing to do that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, because if you're everybody's trying to find themselves, right? I feel like it's not even just your it's not just college. I feel like all through your twenties, people are really trying to find themselves. So yeah. if you have it quote unquote together in your twenties that's bullshit. Let's just be real. You don't know who you really are when you're in your twenties. You don't know. Start settling and finding and finding your groove until you start hitting your thirties. So tell me what your experience was like with your self-pleasure and figuring that out throughout school and through college and and into your twenties. Yeah, I think, you know, when I first started my sexual exploration process, I was about, I'd say like 1920. 
Um, and I just remember feeling kind of really just guilty, like a bit of like, there was like a, a heaviness. I don't know if I would call it guilt or shame per se, but it was never really like, I'm really happy that I just did what I did with this person. Not that I was, I didn't give consent or that I didn't want to, but there was just always like a heaviness or like a restriction that I kept on that exploration. And, you know, nonetheless, I still, you know, went out and and spoke to people and engaged with people. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I'd say like my early or mid twenties when I moved to San Francisco after I graduated from UCLA, where I really let myself kind of just really, really let go and explore. Like I'm up here. I just finished school. You know, I feel like I'm all independent and I'm the shit now. Like I know what life is all about. You know, that was my twenties. You're twenty one, twenty two. Of course, you know everything. You think you're doing big things. (laughs) (laughs) So I was out there doing big things, and and you know, I had my kind of like wild days. I'd go out, make out, you know, fuck different people, and but I it never it what there was like a running theme with in looking back there was a heaviness to it. There really wasn't like this full freedom that I feel now. A lot of how I express myself in my sexual spaces was to please someone else. How I sounded, how I looked, you know, okay, am I sucking in my tummy? Okay, like I think this is what I see in porn or this is this is how I think, you know, someone would appreciate my body. Not, not even thinking about the fact that I should even think, be thinking about my own pleasure. That wasn't even there at all in my early 20s. And it wasn't until I met um, my first love, my first real relationship when I was, how old was I? I think I was like 26 uh, when that went down, where I started to kind of understand more of the intimacy and the energy exchange that can happen with someone during sex. So it started to shift my relationship to like, oh, this can be really, like really more deeply personal like there's more to it than just like okay I think I can't I didn't there were times where I didn't even know if I if I could if I understood what orgasming was (laughs) so it was it, it wasn't until I brought in um this other person into my life that where there was that love exchange that that it started to shift for me and even then after that um when we broke up when I was about 29 when I, that's when I went through my spiritual awakening because everything fell apart, including the relationship. Was that when you went through your depression after that relationship? Right before that relationship is when I went through my depression because I, you know, I was doing all this partying. I was doing all of this, you know, just, you know, I was living life outside of myself, searching outside and didn't know how to search internally. So when nothing externally was feeling or fitting right, it made me really depressed because I didn't know what was what, what was up, what was down. I just felt so, so lost. So when you look back at that time, Mm -hmm. how would you say your relationship with yourself was during that time? Because I, I've, I've been twice diagnosed with clinical depression Mm -hmm. and I felt once was when I was a teenager and once when I was in my early Mm twenties and I feel like I just didn't even feel, I couldn't, like I felt everything and felt nothing all yes. at the same time. 
Yes. And and if you've never gone through a depression, it's you can't describe it. You can't yeah. describe how you feel because you feel everything, like everything feels so heavy. But at yeah. the same time, you're like, I don't give a shit about anything. I feel nothing. Nothing. The weirdest, it's, I don't even know how to explain it. That um, was that was pretty spot on. That's that's exactly how, how I felt for sure. Not to cut you off, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. So that's why I was wondering, like, what would you, how do you feel your relationship? And how did that adjust your relationship in regards to exploring with yourself and understanding yourself, because I think people oftentimes don't realize, right, that getting to know ourselves is obviously a mental, spiritual, and physical thing, Mm -hmm. right? We have to kind of be in alignment with all of those things to truly know who we are. Mm -hmm. So how did that maybe stifle or stop your, how you felt and how you explored yourself during that time? So I think when I look back, I mean, I think, you know, there was definitely no exploration happening. It just, you are, you are just there and in it. And there's, it feels like you can't get out. You feel like you're in this hole. So there, it didn't feel like there was any exploration happening at the time. The way that I started kind of climbing out of that dark space was when I went into the drunk tank, because that was really, there was a lot of ripple effects that came from that, including my dad finding out how depressed I was, because I think, you know, I was, I was stripping myself slowly away from all of my relationships. I lost a lot of friendships uh, that year and, and some change because people thought I was neglecting them. Um, and I didn't know how to communicate that. So it was in, it was after, you know, I had gotten into the drunk tech, my dad found out he had to come in and and see me and him seeing me, seeing him see me (laughs) reflect back to me, how I felt was a real aha moment because I had not been able to really see what was, what I was experiencing, right? You're, you're so insulated that you can't see outside. Um, And so having my dad kind of look at me and, and me realizing, wow, I'm, I'm really in this kind of started to help me to understand what brought me here. Um, and it was a small process of, okay, today I'm not going to stay in bed all day today. I'm going to have, I'm going to make sure that I have a purpose of some sort. And it was just those small steps that helped me to kind of reinvigorate myself again Um, And that in and of itself is an exploration process. Like what today can motivate me enough to do this one small thing, make my bed, right? Not eat in the bed and then just go straight to sleep. (laughs) You know, I I had finals. It's like, okay, let me make sure that I at least do all of these finals, right? Like little things like that and reintegrating some friendships and trying to make sure that, that, you know, there were some people that I, you know, really was honest with, like even vocalizing, like, look, I was too scared to tell you that I was depressed. Even that is really healing, was really healing. So you said after you got out of this, your, this first like true loving relationship is when you really started to kind of explore beyond anything that you had ever done before. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, there was still a lot of pain. I hadn't been able to 
heal yet. Cause I was, I, during that time of coming out of the depression, I'm having to learn new tools and having to ask myself different questions. So, you know, that was a very, very, very like small baby steps, very early stages of healing, kind of really the old stuff that came from like my parents and then my, you know, like all of, all of the deeper ancestral shit that I didn't, wasn't even aware of at the time. Right. But when I met, we both shared very similar pain points. It was a codependent relationship, even though I thought he was, he was it, he was the love of my life. The, the point, the, the, the thing that brought us together, because we were so different, girl. My parents, they were like, Miha, this one, really? Okay, girl. All right. We're going we're gonna to give you space, but we're going to tell you what we think, and you're not going to like it. It was like that because it was, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it was what we both needed to get to the point where we were after our relationship, which is, was at a place where we actually had to heal but we kind of were brought, were brought together so that way we could be on those separate tra- trajectories because I think without that time together, we wouldn't have had the pain of the breakup because the love was so big and intense. We wouldn't have had that pain to say, look at all of these other parts of yourself that are so amazing. Like To know your own capacity to love someone else gives you a glimpse at your own capacity to love yourself and then some. Right. So when I came out of that relationship, because I was so heartbroken and it was so codependent and I put so much, you put so much of your hopes and dreams into this person and then they gets like shattered and you're like, well, that's, that's really done. <laughs> and you know, one of the things you have to deal with is your own guilt and your own, your own like, oh gosh, how did I make this? You know, my parents told me it was going to end. Like I knew, and then I knew it wasn't entirely right. And those like little glimpses you look back and it's like, this is, this doesn't feel right. And you kick yourself like, why didn't I listen? And a lot of that was happening. But more than anything, it was an opportunity because all of the other things in my life started crashing down. Like I had to move back home. I didn't, I didn't have a job. Like my relationship was broken. Like I was really miserable in my career. So I was like, where do I go from here? So I, the only thing I knew to do was to start asking myself different questions and trying to find the resources to help me find a new perspective. Cause I knew I just, I could not go back to depression. That's yeah. not to say that I wasn't deeply, deeply sad or anxious or any of those other things, but I started to come into a different relationship with these emotions. So what are the, I think what you said is you had to start asking yourself some, some different questions. What were those questions and how were they, like, how did you know those were the questions you needed to ask? Because I think yeah. a lot of times we get ourselves out of the situation. And like you said, you didn't know what to do, where to turn. You really had to start over, right? You kind of had to rise from the ashes, be your own phoenix. Mm-hmm. And how, like, at what point or how did you know what questions you needed to start asking yourself. I think a lot of people would love to know that, like, okay, I'm in this position, especially right now with everything that we're in. Um, I think a lot of people are like, I don't know what to do. And it's so easy to get stuck in that trap. Mm -hmm. And if we don't ask the right questions to change our perspective, Mm -hmm. we can easily get stuck. So how did you know? And what questions were you asking yourself? 
Well, at the time, you know, I was listening to a lot of like super, not super soul Sunday, but like Oprah's life class. So there was a lot of like motivational speaking happening that I was listening to, you know, so there's a lot of like, change your life, change your perspective, change your life, like all of that. So that, you know, it's one thing to hear something, but when you're ready to actually integrate it. So I think I was already hearing, I was hearing these speakers and it started to just kind of like, I was ready. I was like a sponge. I was just like, okay, shit. You, know, you didn't just, have anywhere else to turn, right? You're I, just, I, I have, have nothing else. Okay, let's try this. Yeah, I have nothing else. I definitely don't want to just not do anything and then end up in, in depression again. So let me kind of rely on on <laughs> the internet, the YouTube videos from Oprah. Thank you, Oprah. <laughs> but one of the, I, can, I think from that, one of the biggest questions that really helped to shift everything around, or one of the biggest realizations, I should say, was that a good majority of my decisions had been made from fear. Like, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my partner. So I'm going to justify his actions. I'm going to justify my own actions. I'm going to make excuses. I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. So I have to stay at the job that makes me miserable and I have to keep doing this thing and waking up every day and doing this thing that, that I do not like. I'm afraid that people won't like me. So I'm just going to stay in my lane and not rock the boat and just kind of, you know, people like me this way. So this is how I'm going to be. I'm afraid that if I let myself be too much or too emotional, no one's going to understand it and no one's going to love me for that. There were so many things in my life that I was making all, a good majority of my decisions from fear. And when I, met, when I started to see all of those things in my life as they started becoming clearer and clearer, I was just like, oh, shit. Because I was already at the point in my life after everything had fallen apart. One of the things I remember thinking was, I am not the woman that I want to be. I'm not. I don't feel it. It just... I have a lot of things. I traveled. I had a pretty good paying job for a minute until I lost it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I quit it actually, guys. I was living abroad. I was working abroad. Like I, you know, I thought I had a good relationship or whatever. Like, you know, I made good money when I was abroad and it just didn't feel right. So that was kind of another place too. I was like, why hasn't it been feeling right? The fear, that realization, like, okay, so if I'm making everything, all of my decisions from fear, what do I actually like? Like, who am I really like? So then I started asking myself, like, what have I always really wanted to do? One of them was I wanted to, to be a yoga teacher. Girl, I don't know why. <laughs> don't ask me why. There's something I sexy about that, though. I feel like it's true. yoga is actually one of those things. It's very hard to center, to not to just think of the movement that you're in at that moment. But when you do it, like it takes you to this other place. So somebody who is disciplined enough, because you have to go through a lot of training to get your yoga certification. Yes. And the fact that you have somebody who's disciplined enough, who can do that and who's, who can get into that single mindedness in that enough to be able to teach somebody else. There's something sexy about that. Yeah, I I totally yeah I totally agree with that for sure. I ended up becoming a yoga teacher. <laughs> I did the whole thing. <laughs> I did the whole thing. Uh, be, but that was one of the decisions that that was like, you know what? I think it's gonna make me feel good. 
So more of my decisions came from, does this really feel, do I feel good about myself? Right? Not just like it feels good, um, you know, to watch Netflix because I'm avoiding other things or, you know, like I'm going on a binge. Like it's, it's not that type of immediate gratification. It's the more resonant does this feel really good to me. Yeah. Um, is, this, is this thing that I'm choosing, is it resonating outward? Because the fear, it's all internal and it just like, it's like a, like a pinball machine. Your choices that are made from fear just goes bah, 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 all like causing chaos in your head. And I, I was trying to feel more expansive. This woman that I knew I wasn't at the time, but that I wanted to start stepping on the path towards just felt more like open or expansive now that I talk about it. Back then, I don't think I had the language for that. I just knew I wasn't there yet. So you are a holistic pleasure coach and you yeah. have your own one thread coaching. Yeah. How do you get from there yeah. to this point, right? Yeah. This holistic pleasure coach thing from like, okay, I want to be a yoga teacher. I don't want to live in fear to like, I'm going to teach. I want to be able to help women embrace their sexuality and embrace, embrace how to pleasure themselves. How do you get from point A to point B or to point P, should I say? For hey. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> um, girl, you know, <laughs> all I say, honestly, is P is for purpose, too. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I really feel like this is a calling. Um, so, and when I look back at my life, everything, even though I couldn't see at the time, were all the dots and the strings to create, to put me into where, to where I am right now and where I'm going. So, you know, so it's all been a spiritual path, honestly. In 2012, when, you know, I had to start asking myself these different questions, the things that, uh, asking myself what actually felt good and honest and right and helped to make me feel like more open and free, not as like constrained by my own brain, that started with yoga that started with with yoga teacher training um and i you know i had the time and the money and i was like no excuses let's just do it let's just jump in and that turned into reiki uh certifications and that took it uh, turned into mindfulness practice and then leading meditations and i just started growing in more of an understanding of what it means to be spiritual, a spiritual being, and living from that place. And I felt so compelled by the journey that I had been on, just how much change in such a short amount of time. I felt like I, I thought I was living life before, but I was so asleep. And this was, I was just awakening to life in a whole different way. Like time didn't have to, lots of time didn't have to pass for me to say I had a full life. The fullness of life was every single day. And that was something I had not at all experienced prior to all of this. So, you know, at the time, you know, this is 2000, 2012 to 2015. I'm still healing from my relationship because it was a big doozy, man. It was a big one and it hurt real bad. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm going through my spiritual awakening and I'm totally just feeling so good about life and myself and feeling what I like to call now, like just turned on by life that early, early 2014, actually, there was a moment where I, 
was, you know, I wasn't fucking, I was, I was healing. I wasn't being sexually, you know, sexually engaged with anyone. I was solely focusing on moving my body, breathing, meditating, learning, living, really living. And then I remember around, around 2014, just having a moment where I'd gotten a fresh haircut and I had like a little red mohawk at the time. So I'm feeling myself, you know, <laughs> and I'd run my, I run my hair, my hand through my, my hair. And I'm like, Ooh, gosh, damn. I was next to one of my girlfriends. I was like, I feel really good right now. Like I felt really like sexy and fly and fine. And no one, no, no one was telling me that it was me feeling that about myself. And one of the things to kind of backtrack a little bit, one of the questions also next to, you know, what makes me feel good is, you know, who am I as a sexual person? And I didn't want to explore that with anyone. I knew that had to come from me. Mm -hmm. So that moment was like a real, just like, oh shit, is she here now? Okay. Okay. She's here now. <laughs> She's okay. That. Okay. So it, it was a, it was a big realization that those two are intertwined and I didn't realize how intertwined our sexuality and our spirituality are. They're basically the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I did not understand that. Um, and so at the time, I had then started um, my master's program because I was like, yo, I'm about this spiritual life. I, I love helping people already. I was, do, I was leading meditation and mindfulness classes and yoga. And I was like, I really want to study this. Like, I think this is where I need to be. And so I went and started a master's program and it was there where, you know, right after I had started to realize the intersection between spirituality and, and sexuality, where I was like, you know what, let's study this. Let's, let's start to learn more about it. And when it came time to choose my master's thesis, there was, I was going to either do mindfulness, corporate mindfulness, because I was already, I was in a corporate environment and already teaching mindfulness there. I was like, okay, that's logical, right? The fear was starting to kick in, like, what am I going to do with sexuality? Cause that was the other option. Like, let me, let me do my whole thesis on this. Um, you know, this is going to be months and months of my time. I'm paying thousands of dollars and I haven't been to school yeah. in like 10 years. So my mind wanted to go straight to the corporate mindfulness. You're already doing, it'll be an easy transition, but it did not feel right. And I promised myself that when I, if I'm making this huge ass decision to go back to school, work full time, I didn't have any more student loans, but I'm going to put myself back in that student, student loan rotation, that the, every decision that I make is going to be based in what feels intuitively right, what it feels honest. And so I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I, I have to follow this line of, of, of learning. And girl, it just, I mean, that's how I, how I really got here. I just, it just blossomed open and it became so fundamentally honest for myself and just something that we're missing deeply in the conversations with healing. And I, and I want to be a part of, of broadening that conversation. Oh my gosh. I, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I think so, I, we, so many of us need to do that. And I include myself in that us of, I agree that so many of us make decisions based out of fear. And sometimes we have to just say, well, what really feels good? And so I totally get that because I'm in the middle of that, you know, in regards to this, oh my gosh, this is scary. This is scary. Just even when I launched the podcast, that was a really yeah. scary thing because I'm putting myself out there in a way that I never really have before, totally. but I'm learning so much from these people. But at the, but again, 
and I've said this multiple times, it's the first time in my life that I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And it's just like, sometimes I'm blown away by the people that I get to talk to and the things that I'm learning and the things that I get to share, right? And I get to drink wine. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Really living that purpose, girl. Shoot. (laughs) Okay. But I want to read what your why is because I was reading this over and over and I, and I really was like trying to, I felt it. I'll say that. I felt what your why was. And what you, when I asked you what your why is, you said, in the work I've been called to do, I fight for the right and freedom to thrive from our body's wisdom, to operate from the knowledge that pleasure is our birthright so that we may live unashamed and unafraid to experience and express pleasure, to embrace our sexuality as our most vital resource to honor and create a life of purpose and fulfillment to teach our children to talk openly and with great respect about our bodies as we prioritize our sensual and sexual wellness as an essential aspect of healing. So you call yourself a a, a holistic pleasure coach. To somebody who's like, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) I get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Please explain. (laughs) So when we... When you talk, when you say, what is pleasure? You ask anyone, like, how do you feel about what, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? Usually it's like sex. And sure, part of it, for a lot of people, not even, right? Uh, pleasure right now drinking this wine. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. So pleasure to me, I use an acronym to, to, to talk about pleasure. Pleasure is more than meets the eye. It's so much more. Um, pleasure to me is an acronym, the presence, loving energy of awareness, softly unveiling and revealing everything. Ooh, okay. You're going to have to send that to me so I can put that in the show notes. Cause I like that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So the ability to be present, even though sometimes it can be hard with the mind worry, worrying around. And in this day of age, right. Of social media exactly. and exactly. But it's just our awareness of anything, our focus is yeah. so distracted all the time. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about attention span, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our attention span is all over the place. So like, imagine like a wire, right? A wire that has, it's all frayed and it's crazy, but it's like plugged in. Where does that energy go? It goes that way, that way, that way, that way, that way. It can't, it goes everywhere. And then it doesn't actually do what it's intended to do. It doesn't go and turn on the light or whatever. We, our bodies are these channels for our divine energy. So when we can be present with that energy, be be intimate with it, like have a real intimate relationship with your divine self like you would in any other like intimate relationship. You can learn how to channel that energy more clearly because you're focusing your intention, this, you're focusing yourself intentionally towards your purpose, what you're being called to create. Um, so pleasure is the knowledge of, of learning about yourself. Pleasure is the experience of remembering your, divi- your divinity. Pleasure is the joy of being home with yourself. There, it's in everything we do and in everything that you want to create and be in your life is the experience of joy in your body, the experience of learning 
So holistic pleasure coaching, holistic meaning, right? Like well-rounded, the mind, the body, the soul, the food, the, <laughs> the everything. It's the global, well-rounded, let's say, experience of pleasure in our lives. Because what I want to convey is that it just doesn't, it doesn't just belong in the bedroom. If you can experience pleasure, meaning being present, allowing things to softly emerge and you able to listen and respond and bring those things to life and love all of the parts of yourself, the gritty and the beauty, all of that allows you then to also express fully inside and outside of the bedroom. It's all intertwined. So the holistic pleasure of being in joy in your life, being in your fullness in your life, even if it is gritty, even if it is in the uncertain, all of that together helps you to just feel more fully, to, to live this life more fully. And isn't that what this life is really about? Like really like taking this, taking this thing and just like, let's, let's fucking do this life. Yeah. And, and so pleasure is, isn't blocking. It's, it's yeah. an opening. So one thing I'm hearing is being present. I've heard that several times. Yes. And I think right now in this environment, it's very hard to be present. Now, mm -hmm. right now, COVID has kind of given us the opportunity. Yes. And I say opportunity because just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean that you're always going to take advantage of it. For um, sure. I think there's a lot of people who are doing all of these things to distract themselves. Oh, yeah. I will say for myself... I am like a super uber extroverted person. I'm like an extroverted extrovert person, right? You don't say. <laughs> I know. I know it's so shocking. Even. Um, and, but it's one of those things where I've had to slow down and I've had to kind of learn about myself in ways that have been very uncomfortable. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah. Because even though I've been, I've come to terms and been happy with who I am and I live by myself. So I enjoy having time by myself mm -hmm. but prior to COVID there was all of these things happening that I could always insert myself in if I didn't feel like thinking of something or if I was like oh I'm getting too much into my thoughts I need to go somewhere I need to do and with COVID that stopped I was like oh shit like I don't want to think about these things but this is all I can think about and it's given me this opportunity to be present I took, and I didn't want to take that at first. And I think that's what put me in this depression at the beginning, mm -hmm. not a depression, but just this real funk. Sure. Cause I know the difference of being in the depression for myself and being this fun. I was just yeah. in this really ugly funk at the beginning. Yeah. And I was crying and very emotional and very, yeah. you know, everything, feeling all the feels. Mm -hmm. And at some point I was like, this is an opportunity for me to learn about myself in a way that I never have. Mm. And so I had to, I had to realize that there was an opportunity and I've become more present in my life mm. by why am I feeling this way? And then all of this, you know, I've always been somebody who's been a very big social justice person. And in fact, me and my sister were talking about it and we were saying how ever since we were growing up, all of us have had different ways that we've all latched onto social justice and how that's revealed itself as an adult. But it just gave me like this time where I was crying and even this drive coming mm. up here, I was like, I had a, a lot of alone time and I enjoyed it, but listening to podcasts and listening to different things, which was asking questions that maybe I've asked myself, but I didn't really think of it or mm -hmm. maybe asking new questions. And so I've laughed, I've cried, I've, mm. 
reflected all of those things. Yeah. But again, just taking it kind of tying a bow of what you were saying, it's really about being present. And if you don't take advantage of the opportunity to be present in your own life, mm-hmm. then that's going to reflect in all aspects of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, life is lived in the present. When you're in fear, you're in the future. When you're anxious, you're in the past. Uh, and the brain wants to do what it wants to do, which is to constantly solve problems. So if it doesn't have a problem to solve, it'll create one. <laughs> so the living and the, ex- the, full, the fuller experiences of life really come from being present. And the way that you become present is to be in the body. And being in the body means listening to how you feel. And there's um, a couple of practices that you can do called like body scans, um, you know, where you're basically, you know, you're focusing your attention. And you're not talking about the medical body scan. You're talking like, no, like, yeah, like a, like a awareness body scan. Um, So you're bringing your attention, like you were just talking about, we have, we don't, our attention spans all, all over the place, right? Like we have little attention spans. Attention is awareness. It's like a light. So where we can place our attention, that's where we are. So if we can place our attention in our bodies, where, like our bodies are always in the present. Where we, our bodies are, we're here. <laughs> so if we can place our attention in this physical manifestation of presence, it makes sense then that we would be drawn into the present moment and all of the energies that live in there. So speaking of all that, you, right around the corner is World Pleasure Day. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so describe what World Pleasure Day is and what should people expect if they want to participate in World Pleasure Day? Yeah, so World Pleasure Day is happening on August 18th. Uh, it's my favorite day ever, 818. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing I do. <laughs> it's my day of, of, of supreme gratitude. Um, and I wanted to be able to celebrate August 18th and the joy and gratitude and presence that I, cult- I feel like I cultivate every year. I wanted to share that with other people. And I thought, pleasure, let's celebrate that. Um, and let's go big or go home. So World Pleasure Day, why not? So um, it's a day to, I, you know, I feel like now I'm stepping into more activism as well, especially when it comes to our own sensuality and pleasure. It's so important. I mean, it's political. Our bodies, you know, all of these, this, all of these things about ourselves, especially women's bodies, it's political. So it, the, the, the paradigms and the beliefs around our body and our pleasure and our sexuality have to start changing and are, uh, and I want to be part of that revolution. Um, and so World Pleasure Day is a day to open the mind to something different, to experience something different, learn something different about your own expression of pleasure, your experience of it. It's a day where we celebrate the body. We're going to learn different things about the body that maybe we never, you never heard before, like something like the biofield, so the energy of the body. Um, and we're there to elevate pleasure ultimately then if we're able to be present and learn something new and celebrate our bodies, then we're elevating pleasure into a new space of understanding. So, uh, to do that, uh, I'm hosting a live stream event called awaken, reveal, thrive, the art of pleasure. It's kind of the thing that I use to describe 
what a life lived from pleasure is about. You're awakening. It's about art. It's, you are a piece of art, girl. You are a piece of art and you are the creator. You're the creation and the creator. Um, and so... I love your use of... Acronyms? Acronyms, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> um, thanks. Yeah, I like, I like words. I like acronyms. <laughs> I like alliteration. Anyway, yeah, so this, it's a live stream event starting at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and it ends at 4.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, and it's just going to be, there's going to be a little bit of movement, there's going to be conversation, I have speakers and activists and healers coming in to talk about all different types of, of things around pleasure in our body, there's going to be spoken word, um, all different forms of expression, and the thing that I really wanted to do that I was really, really intentional about this day was in the health and wellness spaces. We got a lot of goop running around. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of white men, white women voices that are telling us about our own ancestry and our own healing process. And when I first started getting into my own spiritual awakening, those were the same voices that I relied on to help me through my own experiences. So I, I, I give gratitude to, to, to those people. But that being said, now that I'm in the position that I'm currently in, I think especially that we're evolving into a higher consciousness around our body, our sensuality and our pleasure. It's important that we include a multi dimensional, uh, a, a, a beautiful fabric and tapestry of voices. So I was really intentional with bringing different different voices into this experience, um, predominantly um, B, BIPOC peoples, um, and really just trying to make it as diverse as possible with the time frame and the schedule that I you know put myself that I created. Um, so yeah, the expect, you know, I don't, I don't believe in expectations, but the preparation to receive would be to come and to receive, uh, to be open to learning something new, to being curious, you know, be open to what can emerge from yourself that day. Like what seeds can be planted? What intentions can you create from this day? And how do people register if they want to participate? So you go to worldpleasureday.com and you register there and you receive the Zoom link because it is a live stream event and what's happening over Zoom. Is it going to be a recorded event as well? Yes, it's going to be recorded. So there's going to be an opportunity if you can't make it, if you're working or can't like tune in somehow, um, it's going to be recorded. So you'll be able to have access to that after. There's going to be a resource tab where um, I'm going to put a bunch of my work on there. Um, some of the... Um, People who are contributing, I'm called their pleasure ambassadors, so they might have content on there. People who um, really believe in the pleasure principles of the day, um, where pleasure is a birthright, pleasure, you know, is a compass. There's um, some amazing, um, amazing pleasure ambassadors who are helping to support this vision as well. So, yeah, you can go to there, the, uh, worldpleasureday.com, to find out more. So. Before I go into the final couple of questions, um, I want to make sure, like, is there anything else that you would like to make sure that is included? Um, I really want to share a tool that I created during quarantine. Share it, girl. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. So I, so this year... I started a podcast also. Oh, I guess I, that, yeah, that's included in podcast, there too. Girl. Shit. <laughs> Shit. What are you for? I know, right? Okay. So at the end of 2019, I was like, I, I just felt so called to talk more about this. I had been living in a lot of like, 
wanting to hold myself back, wanting to keep myself small. And I just was like, I can't, I have to talk about this. I'm driving my own self crazy. I was getting really anxious holding my own self back. And I thought I can't do this anymore. Not in 2020. Um, cause 2020 was supposed to be our year, right? <laughs> it's well, I will say this. Yes. I say that 2020 is the year of vision and I still believe it. it. I agree. Eyes to so many things. Amen. But I think had we not been in quarantine, we would have a lot of, I think a lot of people, uh, people's eyes were already open and th- doing these things, but I think a lot more people's eyes were open yes. to a lot of injustices that are happening that it would have not otherwise been even yeah. paying attention. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, so, you know, 2020, I knew that some big shit was really going to happen, and, and I had to, to facilitate that, and, and part of that was using my voice, so I was like, okay, let me start this podcast, it's called Pleasure Revolution, um, it's a space where I talk about these ideas, I talk about these ideas, um, I talk about eroticism, I talk about desire, and it's it's all trying to support you to see all of these elements of yourselves that we've made one dimensional, starting to see it more holistically. Um, And I I also, this year, as part of that, because I was, you know, playing around with like garage band and things like that, I've led guided meditations and have created meditations because I'm also a poet. I've been doing that the last couple of years. And this year, because I think I started playing with garage band, so I have Pleasure Revolution to thank for this. I, one day I was like, I really want to like, I want, I want this meditation to be for purchase. So why don't I, I have to make the music because I can't sell something that has someone else's music on it. So I was like, let me just fuck around with GarageBand. Why not? Let's see. And I realized that I could like do this thing where this music helped to support this, the, the ambiance and the vibe that I, that I create. Um, and so it's just become a whole thing. So now I, I consider myself a sound healer because I create these vibrational spaces through my voice, through music, through words, through, um, through all the culmination of all of that. Um, and I call them sonic rituals, AKA guided meditations for the grown and sexy. Um, <laughs> cause, yes. cause these are meditations that you can, you can listen to, you can vibe to in the car, you can fuck to like, honestly, like these are, these are meditations for you to be in your try body. that next time. <laughs> please do my dear, please do. And tell me, I love <laughs> wait till I get back to California. <laughs> okay, girl, I'm ready. Tell me, just hit me up. I'm ready for some stories. Um, so, so during quarantine, oh, wait, if you need stories for your podcast, girl, I got some stories. <laughs> okay. We gonna have to talk. We gonna have to talk. <laughs> um so yeah so during the very early part of quarantine I had already made even before all of the shit went down it was late February where I was like you know what like I have to step into this I had already been wanting to create a tool for people to connect to their self-pleasure in a different way Mm -hmm. because I had started to realize the profound nature of being intimate with your body like that that I thought you know what we need to talk about this more. I want to create a tool for it. I want to create a series of meditations. The only thing that was holding me back was I needed a producer. I needed someone, I need the music. And now that I could do all of it, I was like, now I can't wait. Now I have to create it. And I created this uh, digital product, go at your own pace called all of me, um, sonic rituals to cultivate intimacy. Um, and it's the first part of three parts. The next part I'm working on right now is to cultivate erotic self-love. And then the last one is when we, when you approach your body with loving touch. Um, and this is really just about being, learning how to be present with yourself, learning how to create a, a, a sacred container of safety 
in being with yourself because that's a huge part for a lot of people not feeling safe in your own body so this this uh this digital product is you can access it on my website and um it's a you know go at your own pace and it's a it's a really beautiful product that i, I beta tested it for several months and i'm just i'm humbled by the experience people are having so i really really uh, encourage people who are you know new to being in their bodies in this way to 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 utilize these sonic rituals to help you to understand yourself in a new way. And even if you're not new and you just need to kind of re-explore, you're just kind of exactly. out of your head. Exactly. Exactly. I, I will make sure to include all of those links in the show notes. Why don't you go ahead and let people know what, how they can reach you, social media, website, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the umbrella there is uh, you can go to uh, Instagram, one thread coaching. So that's O N E one thread coaching. And then you can go to my link tree and all of my, all of my links are there for my website and um, World Pleasure Day. My podcast is on there. Um, and then I'm really accessible via DM. So if you have any questions, you can DM me. Yanni, what can always make you smile, no matter how you're feeling? Oh, my gosh. What can always make me smile? The sun. I know that's maybe that's cheesy, but like going outside, like there's just something about getting sun that just, oh my God, I love it. Um, Closing my eyes and taking a deep breath. And then, you know, I wanted to make those things more personal, uh, but like my partner, my partner, he knows how to, he definitely knows how to cheer me up when I'm down. (laughs) And we always close because we start with the wine. So we always close with the wine. What is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rosé? And do you have a specific kind? I love red and I love Malbecs. There you go. Those are my faves. Yanni, this could have been like literally, I'm like, I was checking time because I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, this could be such a long (laughs) podcast if we wanted to. But I really wanted to make sure we got to World Pleasure Day because there's so much information that can be had on World Pleasure Day and on your website and through your podcast that yes I was really like I'm so excited that we finally got to talk especially like hearing what your story is I see so many parallels like I said with my own story growing up so I appreciate you coming on and everybody all of the um, site links the um, the event links everything will be in the show notes and make sure to reach out to you if you have any questions thank you all may you savor your body's expression of joy Until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Made Podcast. For more information on Iyani World Pleasure Day, her podcast, and more, we have linked all her information in the show notes. Check out all things Wine and Cheesemit on our website, thewineandcheesemitpodcast.com. There you will find the names of the wines we drink or the wines I drink each week by episode, as well as a different additional information on myself, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on Instagram at the Wine and Cheesemit and Facebook and LinkedIn at the Wine and Cheesemit Podcast. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese Mate, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, mi gente, saludos!